Hey, and welcome to the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. I'm so excited to keep this series going. So up to this point, we've taken time to understand our why, and we've begun to visualize the future that is possible if we live out that why. So this week, I want to have a conversation about the importance of living out our why here and now. So get ready, because here we go. I'm a futuristic person. Ask my wife, ask my coworkers, ask anyone who has ever had to work on any project with me. I am a futuristic person. Now, the technical definition of this strength is this. People who are especially talented in the futuristic theme are inspired by the future and what could be. They also inspire others with their vision of the future. Now, I don't think there is a truer sentence that can be used to describe the way I work. I love imagining the future, and I love imagining what it could be. I love imagining the improvements we can make and the difference that can occur, and even the lives that can be transformed if we stay true to our why today. But what excites me even more is inspiring others to see that the vision uh, or the future, uh, the vision of the future that they have can actually make a difference. When I see that light bulb go off in people's head uh, about what the future could possibly look like, there is no better feeling for me than that. Now, unfortunately, there's a problem with this passion of mine. Sometimes I am so future focused that I forget about the work that needs to happen here and now. And that can be a problem. Let me give you an example. When I was in college, my fraternity needed to book a band for one of our rush events. We were going to have a big cookout, we were going to have water slides, play outdoor volleyball, and we were hoping to have a band that would play outside as all of this happened. Now, a couple after a couple of attempts at booking a band, we were a couple of weeks away from the event and we still couldn't find a band that would fit within our budget. Now, that's when I had a brilliant idea. Maybe my band could play at the event, and better yet, we could do it for free. So let me sidetrack for a second. For those of you who don't know, back when I was in college, I was the lead singer of a Christian band called the Barefoot Travelers. Now, we were never famous by any stretch of the word, but we did get to travel across Oklahoma to play at different churches and different community events. We also got uh, to record three labels. One was at a local mom and pop studio in Oklahoma City. The other one was recorded with a local record label. And the third one was recorded in our drummer's living room with our very own equipment. Uh, Now, before you ask, here's a short clip. Okay, let's get back on track. As our Rush event approached, I had the brilliant idea that maybe our band could play. We had never played secular music before, and we didn't have much time to practice either, but just imagine the future possibilities. People would maybe like our music, and then they'd start coming to our church, right? Maybe they would invite us to play at other school events or community events, and maybe our popularity would grow exponentially after this event. 
Now, for about a week, all I could think about was the cool songs we could do, the equipment that we would need, the lights, the sound, the promotion, and most importantly, the popularity that uh, the popularity boost that we were about to experience. See, I understood our why, which was to gain more popularity by playing at a fraternity event. I also understood the future that was possible as a result of our why. Bigger events, better record deals, and maybe even getting paid to play someday. In other words, I understood our why and I could visualize the future, but I was so future-minded that anything I had to deal with here and now was just put off. So let me, let me explain what happened. After about, uh, about four days before the event, I realized that I was running out of time, and that's when I began to panic. So I sat down one night, picked songs, put together court charts, and sent it out to our band. Two days later, on a Thursday night, we all met at the church to practice, and because we were on a bit of a time crunch, it was the longest, most frustrating practice I have ever been a part of. But we powered through. Then on Friday, the very next day, we drove to the church, packed up all of our equipment in different cars. We drove to the fraternity house and set up everything uh, uh, to, to play uh, at, this, at this very important rush event. Now, that night was horrible. I mean, horrible. We didn't sound our best. We made a lot of mistakes. And the whole evening was just super stressful because we couldn't get the sound system to work correctly. Needless to say, the future I had visualized did not come to fruition because I was so focused on the future that I forgot about the work that needed to happen here and now. Anything that I needed to do here and now seemed like a distraction to me. I think Justice Holmes Jr. best described situations like this when he said this quote, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. You see, I think the same can be true for us as the church and us as Christians. We can live into our why. We can even visualize what the future can look like. But if we aren't careful, we too can become so heavenly minded that we become no earthly good. And to me, that would be a tragedy. So what does the Bible say about all this? There's a story that Jesus tells that I think uh, gives us great light into the importance of being attentive to the here and now. It's a story famously known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Listen to the scripture from Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 35. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked and beat him up and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. And when he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Now, a Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. So there's four characters in this story, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, and the man who was mugged and left for dead. For now, let's just focus on the priest and the Levite. 
So we're told that these two men are on a road going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this was about an 18-mile road that was very dangerous. The road was very mountainous, which meant that there were a lot of hiding places. And often the road became so narrow that it was impossible to avoid other travelers, but also other uh, thieves that may be on, the, on this road. But people traveled this road often because it was a good route for trading. The, the Roman military would also travel on this road often, which sometimes made it safe. But most importantly, this was the quickest way to get uh, to Jerusalem from Jericho. And if you were Jewish, it was imperative that you would make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem at least a couple times a year. So using context clues, we get the sense that both this priest and this Levite were returning home from a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Now, you might be wondering, what's a priest and what's a Levite? So, both of these were religious leaders who would have probably been the leaders of a temple, maybe even the same one. Now, based on context, we can assume that maybe they both lived in Jericho and, and maybe they both served a temple there. The difference between the priest and the Levite, though, was that the priest had authority and the Levite would have been there to assist him, almost like a pastor and uh, senior pastor and associate pastor kind of role. Now, we're told in this story that both the priest and then the Levite see this man who have been left for dead, and they just walk on by on the other side of the road, avoiding him at all costs and continue on their way. Now, we're quick to judge them, but let me paint the whole picture for you. Leviticus chapter 21 verses 1 through 3 say this, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the priests, to Aaron's sons, None of you are to make yourselves unclean by, uh, by any dead person among your community, except for your closest relatives, for your mother, father, son, daughter, brother, also for your unmarried sister who is close to you because she isn't married. You may be polluted for her sake. Now, the, the book of Leviticus, it served as a guideline, a sort of guideline that laid out what a priests and the Levites could and couldn't do. It was kind of their, their very own guidebook. And very clearly in this guidebook, they are told that they are not allowed to touch a dead body that isn't one of their closest relatives. So again, before we judge them, I want you to remember that as inhumane as it sounds to us, they simply were uh, following their own God-given rules. Like That's all they were doing. Now, let me give you an example of what this would look like today, just to make a little bit more sense of it. Now, back when I was a chaplain, I, was, I remember visiting a family whose mom was about to have invasive surgery. And I remember talking to her kids and her husband, and they were really struggling because she had made the decision to list herself as DNR, which stands for do not resuscitate. Now, this meant that if anything went wrong in the surgery and her vitals went flat, she did not want her doctors to do anything that could bring her back to life. No matter how much the doctor may want to bring her back to life, unless there's a drastic change in their prognosis, this DNR forbids the doctor from doing so. In the same way, this Levite and this priest, even if they wanted to stop and help, by law, they weren't allowed to touch this man. So why does all of this matter? So I believe that the priest and the, this Levite, they understood their why, and they could maybe even visualize the future that was possible from uh, living out their why. But they were so focused on that future that they became no earthly good, especially for this man who was left to die. Let me explain how I got to all this. So Numbers chapter 8, verse 19, it says this, I, God, have selected the Levites from the Israelites for Aaron and his sons to perform the service of the Israelites 
and the meeting tent and to seek reconciliation for the Israelites. So basically what this is saying is that for the priest and this Levite, uh, this was their why. They were called to make sure that the Israelites had a place to offer sacrifices to God that would forgive them of their sins and reconcile them back to God. In other words, because of the work that the priest and the Levite did, the people were able to become forgiven of their sins and be made right with God. So this is their why, and everything they did revolved around this why, around being able to do this. Now, the future, they realized, was one in which God would establish the kingdom of Israel by sending a king that would drive out all of their enemies once and for all. And for them, a huge part of making this vision a reality was that people had to be right with God. Therefore, the work they did was crucial. Their why would lead to their visualized future. So let me connect some dots. Two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of understanding our why, understanding what God has called us to do. And then last week, we talked about the importance of visualizing the future that our why could bring about. And, and we mentioned that doing so, that visualizing this future could and would motivate us to put in the work necessary here and now. So I, I stand behind all of this, but what happens when here and now doesn't necessarily seem to line up with the work that we have to put in in order to make the future we have realized, uh, visualized a reality. So let me begin to wrap everything uh, together. So for the priest and this Levite, if they followed their rules to a T, they believed that the future they realized would actually become a reality. And stopping to help this man would have made them unclean which meant that they would have to go through the purifying rituals, which would have put them out of service for about a week, which means that for about a week, the temple would be short-staffed, which means that some people wouldn't be able to offer their burnt offerings to God, which means that God, uh, that some people wouldn't have been forgiven for a couple days, which means that the future they, they visualized would have had to wait a little longer. In other words... Helping this man would have delayed the future they were working towards, and they were not willing to make that sacrifice. To use Justice Holmes' quote, they were too heavenly focused that they had become no earthly good. See, we have to understand our why. It's so important if we want to make a difference in this world. We also have to visualize the future that is possible so that we can become more willing to put in the work. It, it's important for us, it's as important for us as it was for the Levite and the priest in this story. But here's the deal. Along the way, just like the priest and the Levite, we're going to encounter needs in this world that don't seem to align with our why or our visualized future. And here's what I need you to understand. We are not allowed to just say, eh, not my problem. I'm focused on other things. We're not. God has called us, all of us, to care for all people. So, so here's the solution that Jesus gives us. He introduces a third character into the story, the Samaritan. Now, he also had his own why for being on the road. We don't really know what it is, but he had to have one. Otherwise, he wouldn't be traveling on this uh, very dangerous road. So maybe he was traveling to see family or he was traveling for work. Whatever it was, he had a why. Now, I'm also positive that he had a visualized future as well. I'm sure he could visualize what would happen when he got to his destination, the things he would do, the people he would see, the things he would accomplish, right? So he had a why and he had a visualized future. When suddenly he encounters a man, he's naked, hurt, covered in blood. 
Now, this situation didn't align with his why or his visualized future. If anything, it seemed like it would pull him away from it for a while. But this Samaritan couldn't just walk on by. Scripture tells us that the Samaritan was moved with compassion for this man and decided to help him. So we're told that the Samaritan tended to his wounds with oil and wine and then bandaged them up and took him to an inn where he took care of him and left him there to recover. Now, I want you to notice two things. First, even though caring for this man pulled him away from his why and his visualized future, it only pulled him away for a short time. And then he continued on his journey. In the end, I believe that stopping to help the man did not affect the Samaritan's why or his visualized future. The second thing I want you to notice, though, is that the Samaritan simply did what he could with the resources he already had, the resources he was using to live out his why. See, he didn't go buy more supplies. He didn't go out of his way. He, he simply helped this man with what he had. In fact, even taking him to the inn was probably a pre-planned stop on his journey because this 18-mile this journey was a, a two-day journey, so he, he naturally would have stopped somewhere. Look, in the end, caring for this man didn't really distract the Samaritan from his why. He simply used the tools he already had and the plans he had already made to care for this man. See, I think Jesus was trying to teach us that living out our why in order to live into our visualized future doesn't give us an excuse to not care for the suffering that we may encounter along the way. In other words, I think Jesus was trying to teach us that we can't be so focused on our why that we become no earthly good for others. Now look, I want you to be true to your why. I want you to constantly visualize the future that is possible as a result of your why. But never use that as an excuse to not care for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely among us. Instead, use the resources, the knowledge, and the journey you are already on to help fix the pain you may encounter. And I promise you that in the end, people's lives will be better and you will still live into your why and towards your visualized future. This is what it means to be earthly good here and now. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.